You're listening. You're listening. You're listening. You're listening to Music Biz 101 and more. If you want to learn about the music industry and you don't know where to go, tune in to WP88.7. At Radio Bravo, I am your professor, David Kirkthope, along with Dr. Esteban. Dr. Esteban Marconi is not here with us. He is on assignment. He's been in Florida for about eight months. Instead, we are doing a special interview with Dr. Justin Grant of Atlantic Records. We're going to talk all about Justin, who is a William Patterson alum, and all about the things that Justin does or does not do for a living. But co-hosting this amazing radio show podcast with me today is your friend and mine, Dr. Charlene Hartman. Charlene, great to have you here today. Great to be here. That's great. You can feel the energy emulating from her pores. This is on Zoom and we can see she's sweating profusely. And that's excitement. That sweat is excitement, has nothing to do with uh, problems with her pores. Although she does have a doctor's appointment in 55 minutes, so we must get going. Before we begin, a reminder to all that you should uh, enroll at the University of William Patterson, and you should uh, also make sure that you're following us on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, at MusicBiz101WP. You can listen to all of our podcasts on iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher, everywhere that there is a podcast, we are there, except for Spotify, which took us off the air for copyright infringement. We need to give thanks real quick. I'm going to give thanks to the folks at Van Dyne, Bruno, Inc. and White Hat Management with artists like Dave Matthews, Three Doors Down, St. Vincent Kiss, Zach Brown, and Timo Likes Music. There's only one place to go for your band's business management. Go to vb-cpa.com when you're ready. And as you type in the word hyphen, it's not a word. It's just a hyphen on your computer. And you also want to make sure that you spit onto the screen as you do so. We also want to give Justin, when I point to you, you're going to say, oi, okay? Okay. And you'll do it without, without the mute. All right. We want to give thanks to Christine. Oi. Vey, a wealth manager at the Forefront Group. Christine has helped 
professionals and, and unprofessionals all over the world manage their investments, plan after their retirement. When you're thinking of building a bridge to your financial future, go to the uh, Forefront group and email her, christine at forefront.com. A reminder that Managing Your Band 7th edition is out now waiting for you to purchase it and that William Patterson, the university, our music business program has been ranked numerous times by Billboard the magazine as one of the best in the United States of America. And that also probably includes anywhere that the Hubble telescope can see. So that is all the intro stuff that is now done and we may now begin our introduction. So Charlene, you are now going to tell us Justin's title at the Atlantic Records Group. And then you are going to begin with the third degree. I'm going to hit mute. I'm going to stop talking. And Charlene is going to take us for about five minutes before she gets tired. So Charlene, go, baby, go! Okay, so our guest today is Justin Grant. Um, he is the Director of Digital Marketing and Sports Partnerships at Atlantic Records. Um, for anyone who doesn't know, he's an alum of William Patterson. Uh, so my first question is going to be, um, what your day-to-day -day is at Atlantic and how you got the job. Um, thank you for having me on first. Um, I'll just kind of rewind in terms of like how I got the job. Um, so it was the summer after my junior year at the prestigious William Patterson University. And um, I was lucky enough to get an internship in the publicity department at Atlantic. Um, I got there. I loved it. I learned about, you know, the PR side of things, um, throwing promo events for artists, pitching artists to different outlets, et cetera, et cetera. Um, they somehow brought me back for a second semester of that, my first semester senior year in the fall. So um, I was taking the bus into the city uh, three or four days a week um, doing that. Then in the spring of my senior year, uh, 20, spring 2015, I got an internship in digital marketing at 300 Entertainment. And this was, you know, around the same time that they had Fetty Wap and Fetty was, you know, rising super fast. And so like going to William Patterson, seeing him do his thing and then interning there um, was pretty cool. And then uh, after I graduated spring of 2015, I was hired as an assistant at, uh, at Atlantic in the digital department assisting um, the VP at the time um, there, you know, so I learned under her, Michelle Cranford, she's now SVP, head of the digital department. Uh, she's great. Um, so yeah, that's how I got the job. And then uh, from there, I've just kind of uh, climbed my way up the ladder by, you know, uh, pretending to do good work. Um, but in, in all seriousness, um, we handle, you know, everything from influencer marketing to social strategy, to uh, paid media, internet advertising, um, and you know everything in between, uh, just amplifying our artist brands on socials. And um, I would say that it's not really like, there's no standard one to a day and standard uh, work with an artist because every artist is so different and needs you know different things. Um, so if you're asking like, what does my day-to-day -day look like? I can give you an example for a day like today. Um, we have two releases coming out at midnight. Um, one of them is a single from A Boogie. The name of the song is Play It. There's two versions of it, one featuring uh, Ella Bands and then one featuring her. Uh, and then we're also launching a pre-order for NBA Youngboy's uh, upcoming album. The album is called The Last Slimito and it's dropping on August 5th. Um, but there's going to be 11 uh, Instant Grat tracks on the pre-order. 
Um, so when you go to Apple Music, Spotify, et cetera, you're going to see 11 tracks on there. Six of them are already out. He dropped them on his YouTube and five of them are brand new tracks that nobody's heard before. You know, so today was really about making sure that all of those teams have the proper promo assets that they need to post about um, for when everything's out, making sure that all of our influencer plans for everything are all in place, making sure all of our paid media plans are all in place um, and, and all of that. So that's, you know, the basic overview of all of that. Um, so back to the internship, how many hours a week uh, were you putting into this internship and was it paid? Then we're for college credit. Um, although now as we relaunch our internship program at Atlantic um, in the spring and summer, it will now be paid. Um, so I was about five years too late on that. And actually, I think it's more than five years, which is crazy to me. But um, anyway, I was putting in a lot of time, you know, I would get to the office around like 830, nine o'clock, which was probably too early, but I was always trying to be the first person there. Um, and on average, like, I don't know, I try to leave around like between like six and seven um and then there was times where I would like help out and um do some work from you know the dorm rooms like there would be times we'd literally be like I'd be throwing a party in my room in Century Hall and like I'd be in the bathroom you know like with my laptop like sitting on the ledge like doing work and it wasn't because like anybody was forcing me to but it was because like I wanted to prove to them that you know I was an asset and um, they needed me uh, when I graduated. So that, it was, it was like a lot of time, um, but I think that, you know, with anything that you wanna be good at and that you wanna pursue, like you have to put in time, there's no way around that. By the way, I agree with that. My, when I had my uh, first internship, when I went to William Patterson, did the exact same thing, the whole get in before everybody else, stay as late as I possibly could, and um, just keep volunteering to do stuff. Then that carried over, did you do, then uh, Charlene has another question, but uh, when you first started uh, and you were hired, um, were you saying yes to as many things as possible? Like just, and just volunteering to do things? Cause I did that also, and it really helped get me some. Yeah, I don't think I said no to anything for a solid like two and a half, three years. Like the words no did not come out of my mouth. Um, and even like when I first started as an assistant, as a coordinator, you know, um, cause like as I was growing, like, you know, I'm an assistant, but then like I'm being able to take on um, and handle projects for like smaller tier artists. Um, so I'm doing all the assistant stuff and then also trying to work as a marketer for these artists. And so it took up a lot of time. Like there's a lot of nights that I would literally sleep in the office and then go shower at the gym the next day and, you know, go do it all over again. Um, but yeah, no was not in my vocabulary for a good while in the beginning of my professional career. I'm doing that right now at the internship and that. Um, but yeah, so then what would be the difference between like, cause you were an assistant coordinator manager and the director. So what's the difference between those roles? Um, so I'd say like, obviously assistant is more so making sure that, you know, my boss had everything that she needed um, to complete, you know, her tasks successfully, you know, and like the artists that she was working on at the time, you know, making sure that she had the support that she needed. Um, then as a coordinator, your response, like you have a smaller roster of artists on your own, probably still handling some, you know, assistant responsibilities, um, probably with, you know, some of the bigger projects that you were helping on before. 
Um, so for example, like Wiz Khalifa was one for me where, um, like as an assistant and I was super pumped to work on Wiz because like when I was in college, like one of my main activities was smoking weed and listening to Wiz Khalifa. So I was like, this is sick, you know? Um, but like I was assisting my boss on, um, cause she worked on his project. And then like, as I was a coordinator, like I was still assisting there cause it was one of the bigger projects. Um, but also like having my own bigger roster of artists to have to deal with and um, coordinating everything for them, uh, for all of their rollouts and all of that. And then um, as a manager, you um, are kind of getting like more responsibility with bigger artists, um, you know, offloading those assistant responsibilities and also uh, learning how to manage people, whether it's, you know, having an assistant help on, you know, a few of your projects or managing an intern or something like that. Um, that's what that's all about. And then, um, for me, you know, the move up to director um, was about, you know, taking ownership over um, more managerial type stuff and, you know, being more of a leader on the team and also continuing to increase my role on more high profile projects. Um, and then I was lucky enough um, in January to get promoted to VP, where now I'm in charge of, you know, a few more team members and, um, all of that and just trying to continue to be a leader, um, you know, not only on the team now, but, you know, for others in the company and hopefully, you know, set a good example and be vocal about what I think is right and wrong and all that. Cool. Um, so have you had any role models or mentors early in your career or even currently that have inspired you or continue to? Like my first role model was obviously like my mom. Um, she like raised me by herself and she like had to go to work like super early every morning, um, like working for a doctor, like getting up and doing all of that like menial work. And like she would literally be in the office by like 6.30 a.m. like every morning. And to me, I was just like, okay, cool. Like this is what you have to do. Um, a big influence was a lot of my family too, like my older cousins. Um, I have a lot of cousins who are like the same generation as me, but like a little bit older, you know, so looking up to them and seeing them be, you know, successful professionally um, and kind of like taking that. Um, a, another uh, great role model, my high school basketball coach, um, Coach Martin, who I actually uh, brought to a Knicks game with me last night. Um, and that was amazing, but he was a very, very important person uh, in my life. Um, and then a few, a lot, a lot of teachers, you know, growing up had a big impact. Um, uh, I'll shout out a few, Dave Campbell, Dave Rennie, um, the, a bunch of others. And then, uh, as I was going, um, bless you, as I was, um, getting into the professional world, like a lot of the supervisors that I had were really great. And I got lucky because like you hear the like music industry, entertainment industry, like horror stories of like, I only got coffee, this person yelled at me, blah, blah, blah. And like, those are definitely true. And there's a lot of like people who aren't good people who treat people like that. Um, but I was lucky that I never had to deal with any of that. Um, when I was interning in the PR department at Atlantic, uh, my supervisors were amazing. Um, you know, they trusted me, they gave me opportunities. Um, so that was great. And then um, when I got hired, you know, at Atlantic, uh, well, also at 300, my supervisor, Josh, was also like amazing. They were super small at the time and he was like a one man digital team. Um, 
and so that was super important and then uh again like my first boss michelle she was great and like i don't know like wanting to see me grow and giving me responsibility and teaching me and uh and all of that um so yeah that's that answer i guess that was kind of long-winded <laughs> no that was really great um uh i guess i'll, I'll ask the next one um have you ever felt any burnout? Like, I know you said you do, you would do things. You'd be there the first one there, last one to leave. So did you ever feel any burnout from that? Um, For sure. I think it's when, like, and honestly, like, it's more of a, when I was, like, in the, like younger, I don't want to say, like, younger, like, I'm so old, but I'm, like, not super young anymore. But um, it's, like, when you're going, 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 you're fine. And then when you take a second to kind of, like, you like stop for a second you're like oh shit like I'm kind of tired um but I think like it wasn't until I felt like comfortable in uh in my role and you know felt that um felt like secure that hey like I can do this successfully like people do trust me like I'm not just gonna get fired and go back to being broke tomorrow you know um like then I was able to properly um set up my life in a way that I wasn't dealing with it as much, like prioritizing, you know, health and all of that good stuff. Tell the story of the Bleacher Report and how you created the relationship with them. It was a, It was Bleacher Report, right? Well, so, so uh, Bleacher is in our building. Um, they're in our same office building and it was actually one of our interns at the time who then ended up working, um, on our team as an assistant BJ. Um, he had met one of the dudes who worked at Bleacher, uh, this dude, Meech, who's an awesome dude who now actually does digital at RCA. Um, but they had met randomly, I think on the elevator. And then, um, we all like a bunch of us just like went down there and just started kicking it with them. You know, um, they had a basketball court in the office and like, all that stuff. Um, so we were just able to, you know, form a really good working relationship with them. Um, the company that I was kind of um, like first in on, um, on our side of things was Overtime. Uh, and it was, it was like maybe 2016, 2017, something like that. And I was seeing like all the Overtime stuff popping up on my phone and like all the highlights that they were posting, because they were really the first to be uh, jumping in and getting all of those Zion clips on their phone and getting those out um, and all of that. Um, and I was playing actually in a rec basketball game at Chelsea Piers. And I noticed that the kid sitting next to me when we were like waiting for one of the games to finish had on socks. I had overtime on. And I was like, like, you know, anybody over there? And he's like, yeah, I actually work there. Um, and actually like we're playing tonight and our founder is coming, like I'll introduce you guys. I'm like, all right, great. So uh, we actually end up playing against their team. Um, towards the end of the game, our two teams almost get into a fight. And then at the end of the game, I'm like talking to the founder, this dude, Zach, who's like a super good dude. And I'm like, yo, like I hope that we can still like talk about work stuff. And um, he's like, yeah, it's all good. Um, so we ended up working, we've worked on a lot of good stuff together and we'll continue to, um, one of the first things though, that I was most proud of, they had this thing called the overtime challenge where they would put all of these like high profile, you know, youth athletes through like, um, what's it called? Like obstacle courses and all of that and film and put it up on YouTube, et cetera. And, um, we were the first ones to work with them on an artist edition of that. So we did one with a boogie at the Gaucho's gym in the Bronx, which is like a very like on-brand thing, like him being from the Bronx, the Gaucho's gym being so legendary in the basketball space. 
Um, so yeah, that was a fun one. And, you know, it's always good working with them. So how did that one in particular work? Um, so we actually just, um, like, they're like, Hey, we want to, we want to do an artist version. I was like, I like, he plays ball, you know? Um, so we just kind of coordinated the shoot day. It was like, it was a long day to shoot. It was probably like two, three hours, something like that, but it was fun. Um, we had worked in, like, we brought in some of the, uh, athletes from the area that were like high profile recruits at the time. Um, and yeah, just had some fun with it. Music was his music then also in the video that was filmed. Yes, we integrated it into into the background of some of the stuff. We used it in the promo clips on socials and all of that. So it was definitely a win-win. Okay, cool. And then strategically, is that really a branding thing and just for a good look and for content? Or is are you are you looking, okay, we're gonna do this because obviously you're spending a few bucks to do the filming and get him there. Um, even though ultimately the artist is paying for it through his future royalties. But um, are you saying, okay, we're hoping that this achieves X, Y, and Z? Are you thinking like that? Or just let's just do stuff and add it to all the other things and overall in the aggregate, it's gonna help the artist. Sometimes it's more of a like, let's just do a bunch of shit and see what sticks. Um, and that's more so like in the developing stage uh, of an artist. Cause when you're not sure like what will react well and all of that. But um, for this one in particular, I think we knew that um, that their audience was in line with the audience that we want him to be in front of. Um, they paid for the production of it. We didn't come out of pocket for anything. Um, and it was just like a good promo look like we just wanted to get the visibility on it. Um, I can't I can't remember off the top of my head which project we were promoting at the time. It might have been his debut album. Um, but yeah, overall, it was just like it was very on brand. Um, they had a huge audience that we knew overall would, you know, really like him. And so it just worked out perfectly. Let me ask you one thing um, structurally about it, because so you're using the music and technically the music, that's a, that's a sync use, you know, synchronization. Were you, was it up to you to actually get that music cleared in order to be included in the video or did you guys just do it and what were you later flicked up? Because at that point, it's really the, you own the, the music, so you can do whatever you want. But from a publishing perspective also, is that something you need to concern yourself with or just do it and ask for forgiveness later? Well, um, so on, on YouTube, which is where like the full long piece live, they have their content ID software anyway, where they'll go in and claim music and make sure that all the rights holders get their, you know, get their due. Um, a lot of times I am a fan of um, asking for forgiveness and not permission when it comes to stuff like that. Um, but in this case, you know, most of it is going up on YouTube and they have their uh, content ID software that's going to go in and claim the audio anyway. So it didn't really matter. When you just mentioned that, I, I should preface this um, a few times before the pandemic, we had classes and we would go in to Atlantic Records and we would spend half a day there. And then you would come in and you would talk to the classes. And I just suddenly remembered a story that I think you told about you did something once and you didn't ask for permission. You just said, yes, we can do that when in fact you couldn't. And I think this is going back to when you'd been there for your first year. Do you know what I'm talking about? It was like a pretty major thing and you just said yes and you didn't realize you really couldn't. Um, so there was, um, hmm, I'm trying to think which situation it could be. 
Um, they were asking, in, it was an artist, uh, they were, it was going to an artist and asking an artist, maybe it was you just went directly to the artist and you skipped over the manager or something like that. Yeah, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not really sure which story in particular it would be, but you know, in, in general, and obviously like I've learned a lot um, since the first time that we met, I was, um, I was pretty young. Um, but I think like in general, um, communication is super important, um, but also sometimes like you have to make a judgment call uh, and figure out like, hey, are the consequences and the repercussions um, worse than the payoff if, you know, you just go ahead and do this and it does really well and, you know, kind of weigh those. Um, and I think I know how my scale there works, you know, and it's everybody's different there. Um, but yeah, I think that's really, you know, the main thing is really weighing like what the repercussions could be. And obviously like, I never want to do anything without an artist approval and something that they're not comfortable with. Like that's something that I feel um, very strongly about because I don't think like it's their face, it's their vision. And at the end of the day, it's their life um, that we're talking about here. So that's not something, you know, that, that I do. But I think, you know, there's certain judgment calls that you just have to make and, you know, deal with later. That's what I was trying to get. Yeah, I wasn't trying to embarrass you. It was more of a, um, a, a, how, a lesson learned kind of thing that everybody, because everybody, I, so here's a quick example. When I first started, um, there used to be in-store appearances that took place all the time. Um, record retail was a big deal. So you would have artists go to a record store and the label would be there. And I would be one of the people from the record label supporting this. And um, the first in-store appearance I ever did was with this A&M band called Seduction. And they had a song called Two to Make It Right. And this is like 1990, I think, in the summer. And we were actually at a record store that I had gone to, that I used to go to when I was a kid. And now I was back working with a record label at this record store and I was all high and mighty. And um, this three-person group on AM Records was there. And so they're in line. And, and uh, in my job, I had all these like little poster things. So I start handing out these poster things um, to people who were in line and because people were asking and I just had them. My boss goes, who's handing out those things? And I did. And he, he virtually screamed at me, you don't hand them anything. They're supposed to buy CDs. I was shocked at how upset he was with me. And um, I almost started crying right there. Literally, I've been working for about three weeks and I thought I was doing the right thing. It was completely in his eyes wrong. And he snapped at me and I think I left. And I don't think he missed me after that, but, but, I, but I walked up. But that was an example of an early like lesson when you're first starting, you think you're doing it right and you screw up. And that's, you said you haven't been in the room where people scream. That was an example of a screamer who screamed at me. And uh, first time, I was like, oh my God, you know, so. Yeah. And I mean, you learn, you learn from your mistakes and like, nobody's going to not make mistakes. That that's for sure. Um, I think like as, um, as an athlete or a former athlete, I think uh, like coaches yelling and all of that conditioned me to be able to be fine with taking that kind of um, taking that kind of criticism and all of that and just using it to, to grow from, but like everybody's going to make mistakes. That's for sure. Yeah. And it's actually long run. It's actually good when people like yell at you like that, because um, it makes you better at it when they yell at you in the future. And when you get, married, for example, and somebody you get married to yells at you. So that, that happens. 
Going back, because you've brought up sports a number of times, specifically basketball, you did play on the basketball team at the University of William Patterson, correct? I, I did a long time ago, yes. Yeah, when you were just a boy before the facial hair. Um, could, <laughs> you slam, could you slam dunk? Were you that good? That uh, I, had, I, had no, I had no hops. I'm, um, I'm, I'm mixed, you know, I'm biracial. And when it comes to hops, I definitely got the white side, you know, um, so I, I could not dunk. The reason I bring up the sports is your one part of your title is your director of sports marketing as well as digital or digital and sports marketing. Was that you who developed that sports title? Was it already there? Talk about the development of that and what you do as it relates to sports. You gave us the overtime example, but what are the other things that you're doing to integrate Atlantic Records music into the sports world and how your passion has fueled that? So it was really something like a lane I was able to carve out on my own based on like the work that I was doing. Uh, I think like there's a lot of natural synergy between those two worlds. Like one athletes need music for, as motivation, workouts and all of that stuff highlights. Um, and also like the general, like every athlete wants to be a rapper, every rapper wants to be a baller, like all of that, the two worlds just coincide really well. And the artists that I was working with um, the, their music gave me the opportunity to have a lot of the conversations in that space because it just like worked really well. And these athletes were already naturally fans of some of this stuff. Um, so I was able to build relationships with a lot of different companies, a lot of different people um, based on that. Um, a few of the different ways that we work, obviously now with NIL, we're working on um, trying to build as many relationships as possible to be able to work directly with um, college athletes as well because those are super important tastemakers that you know we want to support our, our music um, and then just in general um, working with whatever new and emerging sports platforms are out there um, figuring out how we can get our music plugged into you know different sports like social campaigns like those bleacher report posts there's uh, there's a network called playmaker that owns like the handle at sports and like at hoops and like a bunch of those type of pages. Um, so there's those relationships that we're trying to build. Um, I've been working with trying to build relationships with the sports side of a bunch of different agencies like CAA um, and all of that. Um, so yeah, that's you know some of the ways that we try and work this stuff out. So when you first started that, did you just kind of just do it or did you talk to your boss and say, I think there's something here, I'd like to pursue this. Can I, do you mind if I spend time out of my day doing this? How did, how did you convince your boss to do it? I kind of just did it. Um, and I started just like doing things that I thought were right for our artists, you know, like as a marketer, I was just like, Oh, like this makes sense. Like this works. And like, as a fan, this is something that I would also want to see. Uh, and I was able to do like a bunch of successful stuff, like in that space and, you know, be able to show like the proof of the work. And so, um, and like I mentioned before, you know, my boss is great about giving me the opportunity to grow. And so um, when it came time to, you know, um, get a promotion and all of that, I was like, hey, like, I'd love to, like, I, I was already doing so much of it. I was like, hey, I would kind of like to make this, you know, official and, you know, be able to have, you know, a little bit of autonomy to kind of go and run and make even more relationships here. And um, they gave me that opportunity. That's Excellent. And that's a, there's a good lesson there. You know, nobody was doing it. You thought it was a, a hole in the game of, 
of the of the label and in what you were doing. So that's really cool that you just started doing it, you know. And that's a cool thing also, the lesson there about there was your passion, you know, that you dig music, you, you love sports. How can I make sports part of this as well, which just fuels you and makes you even better what you do. So that's good. And that, I guess, would help you as a future manager or with people underneath you. You can recognize that in other people as well and, and support them. Yeah, I think that at the end of the day with everything, like if you like something and you feel strongly about it, you're going to do a better job at it because you're going to enjoy doing it. Um, and it may not feel like work, you know, all the time. It's just going to feel like you're enjoying what you're doing. Um, but also that inherent knowledge of that world and that space definitely helped in being able to have those conversations. And then also like for me, playing sports, whether it's, you know, a pickup soccer game, a pickup basketball game, like whatever it is, um, I've built so many relationships based on spending time with people, you know, in that way. Um, so that's also been super important. Let's talk about the whole concept of digital marketing. What to you is digital marketing? Uh, we've been talking a little bit about sort of what you're doing on the brand side, but what about overall digital marketing? A new song is coming out, a new EP, LP is coming out. What are all the different avenues, places that you're going to do some things? So I think the great thing about it, well, frustrating and great thing about it is that it changes almost every day. Like the things that I was worried about when I first started are far from the things that I was worried that I'm worried about today. Um, a lot of stuff that I was worried about when I first started doesn't even exist any anymore. Um, you know, one, we're just trying to keep our artists name and you know our releases is super visible to everybody and whether that's working with um you know different news pages on different sites on twitter on instagram and all of that working with the academics of the world you know accounts like that to make sure that we're getting coverage there uh is super important how are we uh amplifying our artists music on tiktok how are we trying to you know create trends there um, that's super important, but also, you know, aside from that, like, how are we building our artists into somebody who people want to care about, people want to buy a ticket for, people want to know, like, what's going on, and that's, you know, a little bit more of a, like, overtime thing than a, like, song-specific thing, you know, is building that brand. What about blogs? Do, do they matter? So our, uh, today versus five years ago even yeah i mean obviously like five years ago six like when i when i was in school um like i would be on complex double xl like every day during every class not paying attention like literally just reading news on there all the time um i think today you know there's some stuff that matters and i think more so like the association like people seeing like okay cool like complex cares about this person, double XL cares about this person. So like, maybe I should care. Um, I think that's important, but I think they're definitely less of a, um, less of a needle mover than they were, um, back in the day for sure. Influencers. Why don't we talk about the different types of influencers and how you reach them and the different types of deals that you do with them to help them push the needle and what are you looking for from an influencer campaign, I guess? Uh, I mean, that really, it really varies, you know, from artist to artist, song to song. Um, Cause like we want somebody who 
uh, fits the audience that we're trying to reach. So if I am, I'll be very broad with it. If I'm working with somebody like, I don't know, like, uh, like an NBA young boy, I don't think that I want to have Baby Shark post about it because I don't think the people who follow Baby Shark are going to care about the NBA young boy music. Um, so it's really figuring out, you know, who's a fit, um, you know, and there's all, there's all different types. There's the dance world. There's the, the makeup tutorial world. There's the, you know, the, the world of sports, like there's all different pockets, you know, some artists, somebody like, you know, Lil Uzi Vert, he's a fan of anime and anime fans also love him. Um, we recently did a collaboration with Webtoon, which is a, um, that's the best way to explain. It's like an online, it's like one of the biggest online, like manga comic uh, outlets. And Uzi did like a little, uh, the animated version of Uzi in the comic made a little guest appearance where the two main characters uh, went to one of his concerts. Um, and so finding people in like that niche world, um, you know, is also an example of like an influencer who, you know, we would try and work with. Um, so it really depends on what audience we think would care about our artist music. And are you doing, or do you have people who are constantly looking for, whether it's TikTok or Instagram or Snapchat, looking for influencer or influencer accounts that could make sense for artists that you have music coming out or are currently working? Yeah. I think in general, like myself and like everybody on our team is always trying to figure out, you know, like what's next, who's hot, like all, all of that. Um, there's also a ton of agencies, a ton of influencer agencies, like new ones pop up every single day um, that, you know, we go out to and be like, hey, here's the song, like here's, you know, like let's put a campaign brief together and, you know, they'll send us a list of people they think make sense. Sometimes they're good. Sometimes they suck. Like it all, it all depends. Uh, Jaden had a question for you. He wants to know um, in your time at 300 or now that you're Atlantic, um, Lior Cohen used to work for uh, Atlantic and Warner. Now he owns 300 and 300 was his boy. Did you know Lior interact with him? Julie Greenwald, uh, Julie Greenwald, Kevin Lyles, some of the people who were 300 people or, Atlant Julie's COO of Atlantic, um, your experience with them? Yeah, so I, I've been lucky to, you know, have time with all of them. Um, when I was an intern at 300, um, Leora's son, Oz, was also um, interning there. So, um, you know, I got to work a little bit with him. Uh, and in general, like, he's, al he's always been very, very nice. You know, he's, he's a loud dude, which is um, funny to deal with sometimes. Um, but definitely like Julie has been amazing to me at Atlantic and, you know, I've learned a bunch and, you know, spent a ton of time, um, with her, uh, Kevin manages, uh, Trey songs also. And so when I was an assistant, um, my boss was working on the Trey songs project. And so I had, I used to have to put together some, you know, reports and all of that stuff. And, um, so I would interact with Kevin in that way. Um, but they've all, you know, to me personally, they've, they've all been great and I'm lucky that they've, you know, been nice on my come up. Okay. Um, getting back to digital marketing, let's say it's, it's an artist like Lil Uzi Vert has something new coming out. How long in advance do you have to kind of put together a plan? Who are you working with at the label to be involved Who you know, who are you, uh, 
uh, I can't think of the right word, who, you know, working with, I just said that. So I'll say it for a third time, who are you working with at the label and to put together a plan, how far in advance, and from your perspective, what are all the different components to that on the digital marketing side? So um, the time that we get to plan stuff also varies. I could have a month, I could have a day. Um, the thing about, you know, the world that I work in, um, things, you know, come very fast sometimes and unexpectedly and out of nowhere and you just kind of got to deal with it um, and, you know, work quickly. Um, in terms of like who we work with internally, the team structure is really, um, you have the product manager who uh, is kind of like the point guard of like organizing all of the different departments information and disseminating all of that to the company and also um, handling the general like, I don't know, like you need outdoor billboards and like all of stuff like that. Um, the general marketing person, you have the digital person, you have the publicist, um, you have the international marketing person who deals with all of the different label reps in the outside territories. Um, that's like the, the core team. And then, you know, we have a brand partnerships team who works across the roster to try and bring in different brand um, opportunities and sponsorships and stuff like that. Um, what, what other departments we have? Like now we have like a Web3 team who are, you know, doing research into that space. Um, we have a commercial sync and licensing team. Who, it's like you want your music in Madden, you want your music in a commercial, you know, they'll deal with all of that and pitch for all of that type of licensing stuff. Um, and when it comes to like putting together my plan, um, I'm just trying to figure out um, one, like what's my budget? What am I, what am I working with? Which, you know, I'll find out internally. And then two, like, how much is the artist willing to participate versus how much I'm going to have to try and promote this thing outside of, you know, having the artist do stuff. Um, and then uh, there's stuff that's, you know, that I have to do, you know, like get all the assets prepared, stuff that's just like the general baseline, like necessary stuff that we need for every release. And then it's just a matter of brainstorming and figuring out what we can, you know, do on top of that. That's a little more creative and outside the box. Right, you just mentioned assets for every release. What are those assets? Um, so, you know, we need a bunch of stuff for the artists to post on socials. Uh, we're going to need to provide assets for our, um, for our advertising team to run paid media with. Um, you know, sometimes if we're getting, you know, outdoor advertising, we're going to have to build out what those look like on those billboards. Um, what else? What else? You know, for the, you know, dead cards, for the audio that you see up on YouTube, you know, whether it's like animated artwork with a track behind it or whatever, like figuring out like, what are we putting up there? Um, all just the uh, different, different stuff like that. And there's like a bunch more like very boring logistical things that like I will not dive into right now, but like stuff, just general stuff like that, that needs to happen for the music to be successfully released. Is it you who would, because I, I manage an artist who uh, is distributed through Empire. And when we have a song, for example, come out, one of the assets we need to deliver to Empire is we need the artist to say uh, for the DSPs, hey, you're listening to my song on Deezer, thanks so much, or for Angami or Spotify or you know Amazon Music. Is that the kind of thing you get involved with as well, or that's more DSP sales side? That's not a youth. Yeah. So I actually left off when I was listing out the teams and the departments. Um, I definitely 
left off the sales and streaming team and they're super, super important. Um, so they handle all of those conversations with Spotify, Apple Music, um, et cetera, et cetera. And so they would be the ones trying to get the artists to participate and do those drops, which sometimes is a little bit harder than you think. Yeah, that, that, yeah the whole other conversation. But um, okay, so you're, they're giving you a budget. So you're not really going back and say, you know, I could use another five. Do you ever do that? Do you go back? I could use another $5,000 for this opportunity, or I think we really need to do this and it's going to cost another 5,000, 10,000, whatever. Oh, for sure. I'm not shy about letting them know what I need. And, you know, um, sometimes I get it, sometimes I don't, but I'm definitely going to let them know what I need in order to do what I think, you know, would be successful stuff. TikTok versus Instagram. If you had to choose one of the two and you only had enough budget for one of the two to do artist promotion, which one in, and we'll call it April 1st, 2022, which one would you choose? Um, you know, it's tough if I'm like, okay, cool. Like I just care about this song and I need to make this song work. Then like TikTok is the place to go. Like there's many metrics, um, that just like show the correlation between like the amount of creates on a sound versus the streaming numbers and how like one going up also correlates with the other going up. Um, so I think if the, if the case is just like, okay, cool, let's, um, let's make this song pop, then like, that's the way to go. I think, you know, when it comes to the artist story building, uh, I think there is a lot of value still in the, um, the news world of the Instagram posts that go up um, on certain pages. But I also think that we're in a space right now where a lot of artists are needing to keep their TikTok presence um, very consistent and very active in order to have, you know, successful launches, um, which is, you know, something that we're working on getting better with every day. And going back to Instagram, because TikTok, it's pretty cut and dry what you're, uh, if you're, you're doing TikTok for business, you know, it's, it's, it's video, you know, it's just length of video, how much, how long is a video going to be? But with Instagram, you have posts, you have reels, you have stories, you have live, some maybe IGTV, if that's still a thing that you even think about. Where are you putting your dollars in that case? Um, I think like a lot of just like reels and, um, you know, just regular posts, whether it's, you know, a photo asset that we need promoted or whether it's a video or whether it's like a repost of something that an artist did. Um, that's the main thing that, um, yeah, Charlene, they did just add stories to TikTok too. You're right. They, um, but that's like the main thing that, that we're looking for. Obviously the advantage of stories is that you're able to, you know, link out places. So there are definitely times where we want to take advantage of that, but I'd say that, you know, used a little bit less than just like the general reels and regular posts that we're looking for. I didn't mention, we haven't talked at all about YouTube marketing, whether it's a uh, pre-roll ads, you know, with the, the five, four, three, two, one, that you can click and not watch it, uh, that type of thing, or even YouTube shorts, I think it's called. Do you do anything there? Yeah, uh, we try and, um, we try and run as much um, pre-roll as we can. Uh, like with some of the, the artists that I work with, like Google has a very strict um, 
uh, strict policies about how you can advertise and what you can advertise. And sometimes the stuff that I work with is like a little too explicit or, you know, there's too many guns in the video or like whatever it is. So we're not going to get approved to run, um, run those ads. Um, shorts is something that, you know, we're trying to get better at building out more consistently and keep it as, you know, part of the content plan. Um, it's still, at least in my mind, not super clear, like what the correlation is between, you know, building that story consistently and um, having successful launches and all and all of that. It's not as black and white as it is with like, hey, this TikTok sound is exploding and more people are now listening to the song. Um, but then also there's the world of staying consistent with your YouTube content, whether it's like blogging or, you know, doing a show or whatever it is, because for some artists that's super important. Um, I think like going back to Wiz, like he was one of the first artists to really do that super successfully with his day-to-day -day series, um, which like outside of the music just really helped solidify him as like the cool dude. Like you're watching all of his shows, you're watching the lifestyle and all of that. And so like outside of the music, you were just like a fan of him. And, you know, I think that's one of the things that we have to keep in mind. You also have NBA Youngboy who is gigantic on YouTube in terms of the amount of content that he's putting up there. Yeah, I think, you know, one, people just love him. Uh, and I think, you know, he's like kind of mysterious and he's kind of, you know, um, just got like, like, dude, the dude's a badass and like everybody loves a badass and um, he puts out a ton of music. And in general, you know, you see his um, the age range of his fans and the like location demographics, although he has fans everywhere, clearly, because his numbers are so big. Um, but a lot of the artists coming out of the South, a lot of their viewership skews a little more towards YouTube sometimes. And, you know, he's the biggest one. And so um, I think that's kind of where that comes from. That's, that's a real interesting point, kind of, that you just brought out in terms of the regionality of the artist. So, for example, like him, because you say he's from the South and fans in the South, where his core would be, are more YouTube centric. With him, you would maybe do something more YouTube versus if it was, uh, how about West Coast? Is West Coast more TikTok centric then or Midwest? Are they more Instagram centric? Do you have it out by region like that with, with artists and with the various uh, platforms? Um, I mean, there's a lot of information that we get based on the different locations. And, you know, for example, if I go into Spotify for artists right now, which is Spotify's like analytics platform, I could go and I could see the top 10, 20, 30, 40, 50 cities that are listening to, you know, any in particular artist. And I think like data like that also helps inform when you're routing a tour, you know, um, when you're routing a tour, what city should you go to? Um, and what size room should you go to uh, and all of that. Cause if you're like, okay, cool. Buffalo, New York is listening to my music more than any other city. And this is the amount of fans like, okay, cool. Maybe we should book a bigger room than in Jacksonville, Florida, where we have three people listening to my music. You know what I mean? My final question, cause we just about need to wrap it up is Spotify has an advertising platform called Marquee. Does that fall under what you do? Does that fall under sales because it's a DSP thing? Is it you guys work together or you are arguing about that all the time? Um, so I haven't touched uh, Marquee yet, so I can't really um, I can't really speak on it. 
Um, I believe like our corporate team is um, working through some stuff uh, with that, uh, but I haven't got the opportunity to use it yet. Okay, um, and just for those listening, you should check that out. It's an opportunity to spend ad dollars directly on Spotify and they will, upon opening up the app, the idea is they're putting you your song or the artist the artist's song uh, as the first thing that you see. And are you gonna tap on that? And then they can give you, you mentioned Spotify for artists and the analytics you, you can see. You can see the conversion of how many people see the ad, how many tap on it and actually go to the artist page. And then actually how many people listen to the song that you're promoting. So um, it's something that Spotify likes because it's a way for them to make more money. So um, I'm sure they would love Justin to always go there first. So we will see. But um, Justin, is there anything that you would like to wrap up with? Any like final messages that you think an, an audience of young professionals and college students would like to hear? You know, I think the main thing, um, we spoke about it earlier, like having that first in the gym, last out mentality is super important. And also thinking about where you want to be versus where you are right now and knowing that like while doing some of the um, less glamorous tasks may suck at that time, uh, just keep in mind the position that you think it'll put you in later down the line and like help that push and guide you through um, those times. Cause definitely like growing up and like being in school and like all of that and not having the means to like necessarily live the way that I wanted to live um, is you know, kind of frustrating. And I always knew like the level of success I wanted to get to and like, I'm still not there yet. Um, but I am happy with like the progress I've been able to make. And I think, you know, I've been able to keep my eyes a little bit down the road in order to help, you know, ease the, the tension and the, um, frustration that comes with some of the less glamorous tasks that come with working in the professional world. Maddie Dean had our final question of the show. She wanted you to throw out some new artists who we should keep an ear and an eye out for, who you're working on. Okay, so Lil Easy from Chicago. Um, I'm a big fan of. Um, he had a big, a big single last year on the come up, but now he's, you know, really starting to build his story as an artist. So I'm a big fan there. Um, somebody who's not so new, but is now like really working on the solo career, Ojeezy from Shoreline Mafia. Um, I got a chance to work with Shoreline, you know, from when they were signed all the way through. Um, unfortunately, they broke up, but Jeezy worked super hard. He, you know, just started a like 30 city tour um, and all the new music is um, is really good. Um, so, yeah, I think those are two that definitely stand out to me. If you guys have anybody that I should listen to also, you know, I'm all ears. Send me all the links that you got. Right. Um that's great. And uh, you stand out to us. So we just want links to you so that we can just listen to you all day long, every day, because you're the best, Justin Grant. Charlene, do you have anything you would like to say before we shut down? Okay. Thank you. That's what I have to say. Thank you for joining us. Yeah. And she's so nice. Charlene is so nice. Everybody at William Patterson is so nice, even the guests. So Justin, we're ending now. And at the end of every show, we don't say hello because that would be silly since it's the end, not the beginning. So do you know what we say? You've heard this before because we've interviewed before. I'm sure you've forgotten, but what do we say at the end of every show? Oh, I don't have the correct answer. Okay, well, um, you should. At the end of every show, we say, Adios! 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 Adios!
I wish I didn't like John Mayer or pretend to care about what I say so much. Wish I never met your friends and heard from them. They said, don't mess this up. Wish I never told my mom that boy I saw in the east side of the city. How'd you make this so hard? Your loaded gun, take me out of my misery and curse your 